Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this podcast, Andrea Fuentes, director for LA Opera Connects, speaks with composer Carlos Simon, librettist Sandra Seaton, and director and choreographer Jamar Roberts about the collaboration, artistry, and meanings in the digital short, The First Bluebird in the Morning. The First Bluebird in the Morning is available now at laopera.org. Thank you all for joining and finding this time. I would like to just let our listeners know a little bit about each of you, who and what sort of has helped you to become an artist. Could you tell us a little bit about what's inspired you to create the work that you do? It started when I was very young. I grew up with my, my mother and my aunts. My mother taught in a one-room country school, and my grandmother would take care of me while my mother taught. And she uh, would sing to me, do little dances, skits. She had been the end man for the minstrel shows at her church, you know, for fundraisers, not professionally. But that whole sense of words and music, I think, got passed on to me. And then the other thing is, uh, is my teachers, the teachers that I had along the way. I can't say enough for for teachers, elementary school, high school, college, they've made such a difference in my life. Jamar, may I ask you the same thing a little bit about um, who has helped to create and define you as an artist and, and what inspired you to do the work that you do? Before I became a choreographer, I was a dancer. I started dancing when I was about 10 years old in Miami, Florida. Um, eventually graduated high school, went through a lot of rigorous training in dance uh, from the time I started up until graduation. Um, and landed at the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, where I was um, first in their junior company for a year and then in the main company for, oh my gosh, like 18 years. I'm just now sort of <laughs> finishing up my run with them. I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money, but we had a lot of talent. And my thing was always dance. And it's always been the thing or the space or the place or the tool for me to sort of like escape and to create at the same time. So largely, I think I was sort of my own source of inspiration, really just sort of uh, being curious. And then eventually I sort of um, became a little bit more curious about the art form and about different choreographers and sort of what inspires their work, which then led me into a lot of reading, a lot of research and like uh, Toni Morrison and, and I don't know, my interests sort of like run the gamut when it comes to art in general. I'm pretty much inspired by kind of everything. I think wherever my, wherever my mind or wherever my heart is in the moment, I, I tend to be very porous, I think, when I'm looking to be inspired for something. So I'm sort of pulling from all places. Um, now I'm the resident choreographer for the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. I'm currently retired from dancing, so I focus solely on choreography. Um, a lot of my work has to do with um, the Black experience. I like to use a lot of complex jazz scores to sort of help give a soundtrack to that experience. My work has sort of like taken on a different kind of tone when you sort of like match it up against what's happening in the country today. In general, I think I am just an inspired person. 
and Carlos, may I ask you the same question? Who's helped to inspire you and, and define you as an artist? Yes, well, I come from a very musical family. Um, everyone in my family either plays an instrument or sings. Uh, my mom, for instance, plays, she plays trombone. You know, all my aunts and uncles, they play piano. Um, but everyone, we come from a, a tradition of uh, oral tradition. Like everything, the music is passed down, you know, by, by just by listening. No one in my family reads music. Um, so it felt natural to uh, pursue music. Uh, as a career, um, I started in church. And, you know, my dad started his his ministry in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, he needed an organist and a, a music ministry, right? And so I started learning in that way and, and learning by ear. And um, we didn't, you know, like Jamar, we didn't have a lot a lot of money, you know, um, especially to go to concerts. And you know? so music was a way to express that in every Sunday for me. And so I, I, when I got to college, I just kind of dived into the, into that, into that, that world, the, the Western classical world, and just wanted to really learn more about it and technique and craft and all these things, the sound of an orchestra, how to write for orchestra, how to write, you know, how to develop a melody and all these things, which were just so intriguing to me. And, and to be honest with you, it's a lot of the things I, were, I was already exposed to, but I had names for them now, you know, it's like the music, learning music theory um, helped me to understand what I was learning by ear from my aunts and uncles and, and my mom. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the project and sort of the origins of the project. Had you met before this, before today? I've met Carlos many times. We met because Bill Walcom thought the two of us should do an opera based on my play, The Bridge Party. And he said, if there's anybody that can do this, it's Carlos Simon. We, it turned out we didn't do that. But then Carlos approached me and said, hey, I heard about this American Opera Initiative, and I think we should both apply for that. So we did. And we ended up creating an opera called Night Trip. That's when we first worked together. Yeah, well, we, we, we worked with a few art songs by now. Uh, but yeah, we have such a unique relationship and um, um, it, it's, it's always a joy to work with her, especially with this project, you know, uh, working with writers is always a, a give and take, right? It's like you, it's, it, there's, you know, changing a word here or changing a, a sentence or moving things around. But I never really feel like I have to do that with Sandra's words. It's, it's uh, like with this particular uh, piece. I I wrote it as she as she, uh, I wrote the music as as she wrote it. You know, but I didn't change anything about the words because it just felt natural. And you don't get that as a composer that relationship often. And I really feel fortunate to to have worked with her on this particular project and others. Somebody told me a friend. She said that what you want to do is you want to leave humming a tune. And I know so many people now that are singing. The first bluebird in the morning. And I actually got up doing that this morning. Just the first bluebird in the morning. The first bluebird in the morning flew And the way you set that, Carlos, is just incredible because I think people are going to hum that all the time. How were you first approached about this 
this project. And then maybe um, we could hear a little bit about the, the first collaboration. And, and then Jamar, I'd love to know how, how you were contacted and brought in and how it was described to you. But um, maybe Carlos and Sandra, you could tell us a little bit about what inspired this particular work. Sandra sent me some text. Then we, I was contacted for this commission uh, through LA Opera, and then it, it just felt like a natural fit to, to use um, the text that, that she had sent in and as a means to, 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 to try, you know, writing music to uh, the, the, the words she had written. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how long before the commission came, but talk about, you know, this universe working you know uh as like you know we, we started and and the commission came and there was an opportunity so um and it didn't take long to write so it just felt really natural like i said i didn't change anything you know uh with the flow of the words or anything i didn't change much and jamar how was this work first described to you and 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 what brought you into it i was first uh contacted by la opera they had seen a short film that I made called Coops that was commissioned by Works in Process Guggenheim. Um, they really loved it and asked me would I be in interested in making another short film involving Carlos and Sandra. Gave me a little bit of information about their background. Cooped was a film that had to do with uh, the effects that COVID had on the Black community. The themes in that film and the theme in this one have a similarity. Since I was already in that headspace, I was just sort of like, sure, I'll, I'll do it. Um, I'm not really, well, I don't really, well, I didn't <laughs> before this year, consider myself a filmmaker or a director or anything, but I am an artist and I am curious and I experiment with different types of mediums. And so I was sort of experimenting with, with film and excited by it. And so I just agreed to do it. And given the background that they had given me about Carlos and Sandra, I just kind of felt like, wow, <laughs> this is this is like such an honor. And uh, and I'd also never done anything for opera, no choreography. I don't even think I've ever, no, I've never even choreographed to opera music outside of the opera. So for me, it was just a really exciting um, sort of adventure to embark on. On our website, I think, um, Carlos, you've described this as a, as a soliloquy of sorts. I've gathered there from the, from the presentation and the information on the website that this is, it's about imprisonment. Could you speak a little bit to that about, about how that topic came up and, and what that meant for you in your creative process? I've always felt deeply about the issue of mass incarceration in this country. And, you know, it, it, Seeing this in, you know, my dad's church where we would go visit, you know, uh, uh, the prisons in Atlanta. And, you know, I was too young to actually go inside, but, you know, I, I would travel with my parents. And, of course, I'd sit in, in the car or in the lobby or whatever. But, you know, seeing my parents visit, you know, uh, uh, prisoners in, in a jail and um, just hearing them talk about, their lives and and talk about their experience of talking to these people, humans who were just helpless, felt helpless in in, in this jail, and I, and I felt deeply about it, and then I always I still do because I've many friends, you know, who have been locked up, and 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 I feel like uh, I was connected 
to the story. And then when Sandra um, forced sent me the text, I was like, absolutely, you know. And so I, I, I actually really felt like I needed to 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 use this as a platform and talk about this this issue of mass incarceration in this country. And the way she said it, you know, um, it, 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 it's so artistic, you know, it, and expressing the feeling of just being helpless and just like being feeling like you're uh, alone, but still having some hope, you know, come morning, come morning, we'll, we'll I'll shed these old clothes, you know, these. And so there is a journey there, you know, of, of, of but it's not just always darkness as there's some hope to, which is something I really enjoyed about the text. And um, and that's so that's how I connected to the piece and and actually wrote the music from that that place. You know, I often think about the you know people who have been in prison, uh, people who are incarcerated. And I started out talking to my sister who had friends who who had been in prison and she had written letters to a lot of people in prison and she hadn't, hadn't been in prison herself, but she talked to people for me and brought back their experiences and what life was like for them in prison and what life was like for them after they got out, although I didn't get to that part. But that was really helpful. And just from that, I started thinking about the process, putting all the pieces together and bringing in the idea of the gray and the blue after I had assembled the piece was a connection. The piece evolved in, in a lot of different ways. And one thing I remember, and I'll always remember, was January 6th at the Capitol when the Confederate flag was flying. And then I was reminded of the grayness of the prison and the freedom of the bluebird and how much we connect grayness with this sense of, of drabness and monotony and how much we connect blue with freedom and hope. And a lot of what you have in a libretto is similar to an iceberg. So there's this little tip you see, but what makes it dangerous or what gives it power is what's underneath as it moves towards you. So I think in this particular piece, I really feel the music, the, the dance, and then the words, that they all work together to create this tension for me, that tension. Um, and then the bluebird um, kind of breaks from it and takes it away, if that makes sense. Jamar, when you were approached about this um, had you already heard the music? Did you had you had an opportunity to sort of understand or or what Carlos and Sandra sort of saw as as the theme of this piece, or did it come about sort of organically as as you were working on it? I think I got the libretto, I got um, the title, and some uh, Sandra's notes were sent over to me, um, which I thought were so helpful. And it, it was really her notes that kind of helped create the whole world for me. There were, as Sandra just, just mentioned, the, the color gray, the title, and the color blue. I remember those three things just kind of being very motivating for me, even though the color blue didn't make its way into the final cut. There was a cut that had blue in it, but it just really wasn't 
sitting right. And at that point, I thought the piece was pretty much complete anyway. So there was no need for me to bring in that color. I felt like it, you know, it, it said what it needed to say. It was a very short, I think I did it. I think I shot it in, in two days, not even two full days. I think maybe three hours a day for two days. Um, but I, I, I have to sit and listen to the music for a good amount of time. Um, before I even make a single move, because I have to sort of be able to enter that world. And when I start to choreograph, if I don't know what that world is, I can't, I can't just go, you know, make, make up anything. So the more I listened to it, the more it started to sort of like swell or like grow inside my like heart in terms of the amount of care that I would give to the images that were being portrayed in the film. I knew that I wanted to emphasize hope uh, from the very beginning. The opening shot is a shot of the sky or a, a shot that is that doesn't have to do with confinement. And for me, it was just sort of like foreshadowing or just kind of saying, this is, this is the goal. You know, this is what we are trying to get. So now let's enter the journey <laughs> and, and watch the rest of the film. One of the things that, you know, we I, I haven't brought up are the the very important people who are were involved in this process. Of course, were um, you know the the singer Joshua Blue, and then of course the dancer Lloyd Knight. Jamar, how did you convey sort of what you expect um, in terms of like a an an arching goal visually I imagine that there's you know like these are the the steps I see but um, in order to tell that narrative how do you convey that to an artist? Lloyd is one of my best friends um, I think he trusts me a lot so I would just say there's a there's a repetition that happens in the film within the choreography and it happens because of what's happening in the libretto and so <laughs> I'm telling him to repeat I think it's about four steps that I ask him to repeat over and over and over. And as I'm asking him to do it, I'm filming it, but I'm also saying, go faster, go, go faster. Um, but to answer your question, I don't, I don't really know. It's, it's a strange thing. I just kind of go with my instincts. Um, a lot of things happen on the day of the shoot that I did not plan for. Um, just walking, uh, it was shot in, some of it was shot in the park. So walking from the park back to my house, I just, the weather just happened to be really great. And so I turned the camera to the sky, but when I turned it, it made this like slant. And it was also a little bit fast. Um, and so I kind of chose that, that sort of shot to be the moment at which the tone in the, in the piece kind of shifts. And it reminds me of like a Hitchcock film or something like that, or, or something to signify that we're going into a space where we're going to talk a little bit deeper or speak a little bit deeper or the mood is going to shift into something that's a little bit deeper than what uh than the mood that was in the opening of of the piece um but i i, I honestly do not know how um it comes about i really wish i could tell you i really wish i had answers but for me it's it's really instinctual i i go and I try and seek out a location. Um, and then once I find it, I just kind of walk around that space until I feel or see something that I think can help support the narrative. And then I shoot there. That happened to you, Carlos, something like that? It's always a journey. Um, but, you know, I, I like Jamar, I, I like to be, I think I like to use my instincts, you know, especially at the very beginning and 
you know, I play piano, so I, I usually just kind of sit at the piano and improvise. And, mm-hmm. you know, after reading, you know, the libretto for, for you know, just sitting with the libretto for, for a period of time and mm-hmm. kind of letting it sit. And um, then I go to the piano and improvise uh, based on what I feel about the text. And, and you know, I just record everything that I, that I play without thinking about it and and just you know, without being analytical because I feel like in that space the subconscious or whatever you want to call it it's it, it it just allows freedom and and analyzing in that space is can be paralyzing mm-hmm. um and so I, I try not to during that at the very beginning I try not to analyze things too 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 sharply um it's only after I get these ideas that are become building blocks for the piece that I become analytical and try to refine and develop from there. One thing I wanted to say about um, how I started the piece you were talking about getting into it was, you know, I had these pa- this pages and pages of writing and, and I'd done research and I talked to my sister and she'd even sent me, I thought, well, what kind of words do I want to use? That was when I was thinking about the words. So she had given me, we had worked out this kind of dictionary of, of current words from the street and none of those are in there but this is just like my background okay so when I have all this stuff in front of me all my thoughts my writings my scribbles my research then I have to set those aside and I actually walk into that world and I don't know everything I knew before because I'm visiting that world so I, I had to visit that world or I, I didn't, you know, I wanted to. And then something funny happens because I, I'm either that young man, I call him YM, young man, or because he stands for so many people, or I'm speaking for him or I'm speaking as the young man, but that's how it came about for me. And so once that starts to happen, then all the other stuff is is set aside and there's just his voice. And that's what happened there for me. That made me think of, of point of view. And in the film, I didn't really know that I was doing it, but sometimes the camera feels like it is the bird. And then sometime in the scene, it's like, we are looking at the young man. And then sometimes there's this one scene where you only see the sort of hands moving that remind me of mm-hmm. like the birds. There's this like shifting in like the point of view as we're watching the film that I never really thought, thought about until <laughs> you said what you said just now. But it's very interesting. We've sort of reached a, a really interesting place because if I can, I'd like to ask you sort of, how you feel like this piece is important and it it seems like it it certainly is and it has a very important message and I'm wondering if I could ask you a little bit about 
how you've sort of interpreted this message and what you would want the audience to know either about the artistry of this piece, like how we could connect with it more and understand it more, or a little bit about the message that you think um, we should sort of gain from it. And I, I understand that's unique to every person as they experience the work. Um, but if there's anything that you could help us with as, as an audience to understand a little bit more about um, the importance of, of what is being conveyed. Well, I guess I'll start. It's, I, I always consider music as a, as a platform, you know, to, to, to start discussions about what's happening in the world. Um, I, I feel we all have to do our parts and, and, and use our talents and gifts to, to try to uh, uh, just have, you know, for people to see a different perspective. And, uh, and that's what I wanted to do with this particular piece is to kind of shed a light on this, this issue of mass incarceration in this country. Uh, which really affects black and brown people. We have to really start thinking about this, how the justice system in this country is flawed deeply and skewed in the way that it, it negatively impacts black and brown people. Um, and, and that was an inspiration for me uh, of hoping to, for people to, to really think about this and, 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 and demand change and, and 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 that's that's one of the things i'm hoping for um because that that young man that sandra's talking about it could very well be me could be jamar could, could be any of my friends uh at any point you know and and it, it's 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 terrifying to be honest with you um because i know several friends of mine who are you know have been affected by the justice system in in the negative way and uh that, and that's my hope you know, just to go on from what Carlos said about uh, the piece. And one thing I did want to say is that just to bring up Josh, mention Josh again, I felt that when I was writing for this, I was writing for um, a Joyce, Josh's voice, a, a, a man's voice, um, just the words and the sounds. I don't know if Carlos felt that too, but I had Josh's voice in mind when I was writing the words and thinking about how he would sing them, even though I don't write music, but it was just in the back of my mind. And I guess to go on from the issue of incarceration that I care so deeply about, I wanted people who had never thought about incarceration to see a close-up image of a young man who is, it's a kind of every man. And in doing that, I wanted the listener to be able to imagine if they had been in this position, if they had been in, in this space. So going to love the piece, going to, to empathize with the young man symbolizes the first step for a lot of people who just can drive by prison and see the caution sign and never think anything else. And of course, you know, in this age of COVID, the piece, because of the, the sense of confinement, took on added meaning. And then also, you know, just the, the, the thought of a company like LA Opera caring enough to help us to bring this piece to life and to this audience is so important because I'm sure they could have 
there were other things they could have uh, chosen to do. So uh, I, I really appreciate them for taking this on. I was just thinking, I mean, from my perspective um, in making the film and just kind of sitting and editing the footage, because it's really where you, you tie, tie narrative together is, is, is there. And I, I, I just kept thinking of liberation and what I was trying to think of was, um, I think Martin Luther King may have said, no one is free until we're all free. When I was watching it in the editing, that's just what it reminded me of. It's sort of like if we can't really free ourselves from, you know, whatever it is that that causes us to do harm to others, then it's like that person that is that's doing the harm is not, isn't free, and therefore that's going to be perpetuated. You know what I mean? It's going to lead to more um, issues like this, like the one that we're talking about in this film. So, for me, I just hope that in watching it somehow that sort of comes across this feeling of the importance of liberating. Well, thank you to everybody here. We were so excited to have this work available and to have it, um, you know, accessible and and visible online. I, I know the pandemic has been a great challenge, but one of the wonderful things that's come out of it is this additional accessibility that we were forced to find. Um, and so we're very happy to have this and have it be so visible uh, at laopera.org and our, our digital shorts and our On Now program. And I, I'm grateful to each of you for sharing your experiences in, in creating this, this beautiful and important and, and, and timely piece. Um, and I want to thank you for sharing um, your journey with us a little bit today. And, and thank you for your time. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Remember to share with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Music